0: All right, everyone. Welcome to the Persist podcast. It is my honor today to be here with Riverside City Councilwoman Gabby Placencia. Councilwoman Gabby Placencia is an education champion who has been an active member of the Riverside community for more than two decades. She is also a product of Riverside Public Schools and a resident of the city of Riverside for more than 30 years. Gabby is a member and past president of the Riverside Latino Network, where she focused on developing scholarship and leadership programs for the youth. She served as a city commissioner on the Budget Engagement Commission, giving her a unique perspective on the city's financial outlook and helping to direct Measure Z. As the first ever Latina elected Elected to the Riverside City Council, Gabby understands the importance of representation at every level of government, particularly at the local level where so many decisions that impact communities of color are made. Gabby has a Bachelor of Arts degree in Psychology from Cal State University Dominguez Hills, a Master of Science degree in Counseling, and her pupil Personnel Services Credential from Cal State LA, and an Administrative Services Credential from the Riverside County Office of Education. She has lived in Ward 5 with her husband, Sam, and their daughter, Ari, for 13 years. Gabby, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited. Yeah, thanks. I'm thrilled to have you here. First question, a jumping off point. Please tell us a bit about yourself and your path into politics.
1: So I was born in Los Angeles, but my parents moved, bought a house. There was a housing boom in the 80s. So I lived in South Central until I would say maybe I was in fourth grade when we, we bought a house here in Riverside. And so growing up in South Central, there were there was times where I was the only Latina in my class. It was, it was just Blacks and Latinos. And so moving to Riverside was definitely a culture shock. I lived in Arlanza, you know, in the Alvord area. And at the time there was, I thought from where I came from, you know, just not a lot of Latinos, hardly any Blacks. And so I just felt like culture shock. But you're young. You don't have a choice. You just go where your parents take you. But I graduated from the schools in Alvord. I am a school counselor. I've been a school counselor or I want to say almost 15 years now. So I work at the middle school I attended. So that's fun. Um, Finally, I think like two years ago or last year, the last teacher that I remember being there when I was a student retired. So, (laughs) Uh but it was always fun to talk to the teachers I had when I was a student. So when I was in high school, I was in high school in the nineties during Pete Wilson. And, Mm -hmm. you know, back then there was a very anti-immigrant bill. And so I was the president of Mecha and so I organized a walkout at Nordavista. and I organized you know our high school students partner with the with UCR, RCC and other Mecha uh, programs. I would go to City Hall to meet with Mayor Leverage to get funds from the city to have like a Cinco de Mayo festival that we used to host and so I would organize community cleanups. I just I loved being involved and So that kind of sparked my interest, I guess, just being in high school and kind of learning about giving back to the community. I then moved on to to college in Los Angeles. I moved back to Los Angeles. To go to college. And and uh, when I finished my degree, I thought, you know, I, I love Riverside. I, L.A. was fun, right? When you're young, there's a lot of stuff to do. But, you know, I wanted to buy a home and kind of just settle down here and give back. So after college, I moved back and started working in the schools. And so I guess at a certain point, I started thinking, OK, I have my my house, my career, my husband, all that stuff. You know, I had a family, you know, I have a daughter. And I thought, OK, what else can I do? <laughs> and and
0: so I decided to run for office. <laughs> I love that, and I'm so glad that you did. Thanks for that background. It's always fun to hear people's you know, stories about how they got into politics and the initial spark and that amazing high school experience that you had in uh, the Riverside area. So let's talk about campaigning. Mm-hmm. You you won a hard fought race in 2019 to become the first ever Latina on the Riverside City Council. What does that mean to you? And what do you think it means for Riverside?
1: Well, it's, it means a lot because, you know, in 2019 to be the first Latina when in, I believe it was 1963 is when we had the first Latino elected on the city council. So think about how many years ago that took for a woman, Mm -hmm. a brown woman to, to run and to make it right. And so you can imagine Imagine all the challenges and I know you and I talk about it all the time. Yes. So your listeners, it's challenging um, culturally, right? Women, you know, women of color, we don't, we're not raised to, to ask for money, right? We don't do that. And so that's a big part of campaigning along with the other challenges. And I don't know how, how much you want me to get into the weeds about it, but you do you want Gabby? <laughs> so I chose to run a clean campaign because I knew that I was a hard worker and I was ethical and that I was going to win on my merits and that I didn't have to, you know, play dirty to win. And so I wanted to feel good about the campaign I ran. And so I did, even though, you know, it was a challenging race. I, my, you know, predecessor did not support me and kind of the institution, the kind of, you know, I don't want to say the good old boys, but you know, the the typical supporters of, of this area, you know, were not my supporters and that was okay. But what I focused on was being myself, honestly, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, just being myself and really explaining to people, educating them as to why it was important to run for me and what I thought that I could bring to the table. And that takes up a lot of time to knock on doors. And as you know, you're supposed to knock on doors really quick, 30 seconds, a minute, you know, go to the next door. But when I have a high Latino population in my, in my ward. And so I spent a lot of time educating the voters, you know, explaining to them what a council member does and how it could impact them, how they would be my boss. And so campaigning was very tough. And so being that I won, it was obviously very validating, right? It was a whole experience with my family, with my friends, really showing them that if you work hard and you have good values and you care about people, you can win. And so my daughter was super excited. She was about three at the time. And I remember having her do little videos for me, telling people to vote for her mom. And so that was cool, you know, having her knock on doors and and all that kind of stuff. But I think that's what women do different, right, is really like bringing others along with them. And so thankfully we won and I have an opportunity. It's been a year and a half and I've loved every minute of it, even the controversy and the hate and all that stuff. It's a part of it. And so a year and a half later, I can still say that I'm so glad I ran. And obviously I'm glad I won because I've been able to create positive change for the community. And that's what this is about. It's about really being that voice for them.
0: It is. And I love that your daughter was so involved in the campaign. That's really important. And so here you are, less than two years into your term. Unfortunately, you've had to fight a recall campaign and have successfully reengaged and rallied your base, though, as a result. What have these experiences been like? time consuming.
1: (laughs) It's been very time consuming. But you know, I think
0: with COVID, I saw
1: myself when I won, I really see myself as a, as a a community, I I govern with the community in mind. And so once I won, I still wanted to do those community coffees that you do when you're campaigning. And I still wanted to knock on doors. Like I had all these good ideas about I was gonna stay super engaged with my constituents, those that supported me and those that didn't. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit, you know, and that goes out the window, right? Mm-hmm. And people are sick of doing Zoom and they don't wanna do these kinds of meetings. So the recall really gave me an opportunity to call my my constituents and really have the team that I wouldn't otherwise have because on the council I have one assistant. I don't think you get one, but right. you know, we we are a big, I think what What's your population? Because I think my ward's probably bigger than your whole city.
0: <laughs> in Redlands, we have 70,000 people in the city. Okay.
1: So I would say I have 22,000 registered voters. So that's just who's registered to vote. So think about that, right? We um, right. have some pretty big representation. But so it was, for me, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because I really was able to talk to constituents to see how I can help if there was anything they needed. A lot of people, as you know, were struggling financially with, or with COVID and, deaths and all these things. And so it really helped put us in a position where we can um, provide them those resources. And so I was very grateful that a year and a half in, I was able at that magnitude to to talk to so many constituents and really let them know that I was there for them and whatever they needed. We did like gift card drives. We collected gift cards to give out to needy families. And I just wanted to show support any way I could. And so, you know, obviously it was great to be the recall and still be on the council, but For me, whenever I deal with adversity and conflict, I always focus on the positive things. And so, like I said, it you know, in the thick of it, right, like in December, January, you know, you're just like, oh, you're trying to wrap your head around campaigning again and all Mm -hmm. this stuff. And, And so I just kept reminding myself, you know, just focus on the good work you've done, focus on how you can help people and that's it. And everything else will fall into place. And luckily it did.
0: Absolutely. And I have to say, just as someone who watched you campaign and has been watching you govern and has been cheering you on from the sidelines, you know, it was difficult to see the first ever Latina be elected in Riverside. And then so quickly, a recall campaign lodged against you. And I think that you've handled that amazingly well. And I love that you turned this into a positive opportunity and a really fantastic chance to reconnect with your voters, especially in the pandemic. I don't think people understand how it challenging it is to govern uh, through a pandemic. And so much of you know your role as a council member involves interacting with public. And that, that is obviously quite the challenge when you know people are in stay-at-home orders and we're interacting via Zoom. So it it's incredible that you've been able to successfully beat this recall while turning that, like I said, into a positive to re-engage with your constituents, hear about the issues most pressing to them. And I'm I'm curious to know, you know, what you learned from those calls and also So what are some of the issues that you're most passionate about and eager to address during your time on the council?
1: During the calls, um, most people didn't know about the recall. It was more about, you know, help with unemployment benefits, connecting them to people that work for EDD or connecting them to our assembly member's office. So I did a lot of that. And it's funny because my work as a school counselor, I feel like it's very, very similar as providing families with resources. And Mm -hmm. so I get to do that all day. And so I I really enjoy that. And so it wasn't about all the, the negative things that you know the media portrays or social media portrays it was nothing about that it was about you know I need a job do you have gift cards for the grocery store because I did a lot of that um, it was those kinds of things what you know what kind of um, help can we provide mm-hmm. when we're behind on our electricity bill just city services that kind of thing and so that's kind of our bread and butter right quality of life issues for our constituents and so it wasn't those big things that people think about you know it's about it's about the potholes. It's about the resources. It's not about um, my beliefs on abortion or how I vote, you know, from the president or anything like that. It's literally about, Hey, you know, do you have programs to, you know, for rent or whatever. And so for me, it really showed me that if I just continue to stay on track and not get caught up in the negative things that that's not reality, this is my reality. And so that kept me focused and really started getting me to think about the rest of my term and what do I want to accomplish because i always say you know i think women were used to multitasking and having a full time job and a family and you know city council is a full time job in itself we figure out we figure out how to do all those things and you hope you're successful at at all of them but i started planning and i thought what do i want to see accomplish me accomplish in ward 5 my first term and so for me being in the middle of riverside i we have the Magnolia Corridor, which is essentially called the Arlington Village. I'd really like to turn it into a mini downtown where you see, you know, affordable housing, mixed use projects. And so I spend a lot of my time um, meeting with developers, figuring out who's interested in really developing. We're going to, um, it's still in the application process, but on the corner of Van and Magnolia, I met with a business owner who bought the property and they're going to put in the first Latino, the first Latino mercado. Um, mm-hmm in the region and so It's for me, I think it's going to be such a great anchor because of that area. I want it to be more walkable with little coffee shops and that kind of thing. So that's some of the thing that's that's one of the things that I'm working on and have been all year, though. People may not see it. Those are the things that I do. I'm very intentional. And in the green belt, right, I have a huge part of the green belt. And so how do we revitalize it? I like to run. There's a group called the Riverside Roadrunners. And so I believe in green and open spaces. And so I really want to maintain that, but at the same time, we need to revitalize it. So we're looking at some ag tourism. So looking at what Temecula is doing with their tourism, how can we replicate something like that here? without changing the charm without impacting our greenbelt constituents quality of life but having that balance looking at maybe a bigger permanent farmers market like san diego has mm-hmm. um, yesterday the mayor presented about the monarch butterflies and i thought we could be like a monarch sanctuary here like michoacan mexico but i just have all these ideas and so i've been re-engaging with the community and the greenbelt growers to figure out how i can take their ideas with my my ideas and mesh them into some Greenbelt master plan. And so those that's in the works as well. And then I think the council we have working together, really taking a holistic approach as to how we're going to share the wealth and share the burden and really look at Riverside in the next five to 10 years and look at it more globally and not work in silos. I think we've been doing that well and we're continuing those efforts. And so it's just an exciting time for us.
0: It is an exciting time, and I love all of those ideas. And I think that it's hard sometimes for the general public to understand how much work actually goes into each of the things that you just described, but I know it's a tremendous amount. As we know, government can move slowly sometimes, and there's so much behind-the-scenes legwork that needs to be done to make any number of these projects happen. And it's great that while you are all representing different wards, you know, you're know you finding ways to work collaboratively and see the bigger picture of moving Riverside forward together other. Thank yeah. You. And
1: I really like that because we can't, we can't accomplish things if we're going to all worry about just our little part of Riverside. It doesn't work that way. And I think we've been stagnant. You know, I think we're 20 years behind at least in development and and, and social equity and so many other areas, because I think they're, you know, the prior council um, governed differently. And I get it, you know, when you're older, you're in a different place in your life. You have different values, different backgrounds. And so I, I am just so grateful that I, I'm on this council with with these specific people, because I think we're a good balance and we don't always vote the same way. We don't agree on everything. But I think for the most part, what we want for Riverside is very similar. And we're not you know, I don't want to say selfish, but we really respect each other. And we're looking at how we can support one another to accomplish whatever it is that we want to accomplish. So I I think that. That's why I love what I do still despite the challenges and definitely the positives outweigh the negatives. So.
0: I'm so glad to hear this. And that was a really you know, profound reflection on your council versus the previous council. I think that sometimes people lose sight of just how much it matters who's at the table. You know, we hear a lot about representation matters, but it, it actually really does, right? And especially mm-hmm. if you're talking about generational differences and just, you know, perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, it could be the smallest things like parking meters. I'm like, why do we need parking meters if I'm going to Uber there? You know what I mean? Like just, there's just so There's so many of those things where, for me, it's like, why would we invest? All this money on infrastructure when I don't see parking going in that direction. And, and that's just one small example. We haven't even gotten into the, you know, gender policies mm-hmm. and the, you know, discriminatory policies. From my lens, I see it right away. And from other people it's like, well, there's nothing wrong with us having the word citizen or why can't undocumented people sit on our boards and commissions. Okay, they can't vote, but they pay taxes here and they're equally contributing to our economy. I don't understand. And so there's a lot of those little, they're not little, they add up to big things, but for other people, they never saw it that way. And so to your point, it is about who's at the table. It is about who's making decisions and who's reviewing the ordinances and the policies. They don't work for us anymore and they haven't for a very long time. And so that's exciting to be in a place where you can say, no that's not okay anymore. And we just cannot rubber stamp things anymore. We really have to look at what's right for everybody. You know, we're, we're growing, we're changing, and we cannot continue to do business the way we always have.
0: Absolutely. So well said. Gabby, I'm curious to know, what do you know about politics now that you wish you had known before you decided to run for office?
1: Well, I felt very prepared. So I, like you, did a leadership program in 2013 through Hispanas Organized for Political Equality. I'm um, their nonprofit out of L.A. And so that really prepared me for all of it in terms of campaigning, policy. I have a lot of friends that are elected through a lot of Latina friends that are elected throughout the state. So so I felt prepared because something would come up where I didn't know about something campaigning or politics. I could call them up and be like, hey, so that network was like in like I, I couldn't have done it without that. But the one thing I would say that I think it's maybe just you learn while you're there is I really underestimated people's ability to crack under public pressure. So, yes, I really thought, no, these are our values. We said we were going to do something. And then you get, you know, people who are upset and threaten you and do all kinds of mean things that happen to both of us. Yes. And my colleagues, or I've seen other, you know, elected officials really cave. And I'm like, why? They're going to be mad regardless. You might as well do what you think is right. But that's Mm -hmm. just my opinion. Mm -hmm. But that I underestimated. I really did. I thought, no, I thought we were on the same page. I thought we had the same values. And then they voted different way. And I thought, Mm. interesting. Absolutely. So I really did underestimate elected officials, not just my colleagues, but elected officials in general, ability to fold under public pressure. And it was it was disappointing to me because I thought when you run for office and you say these are your values, then you vote your values, no matter what, no matter who yells at you, no matter how much they threaten you. And that's how I govern and that's how I vote. And I guess I was naive to think that everyone else would do the same and then when that didn't happen I felt so disappointed and sad and I I know everybody has a different level of comfort when it comes to public pressure and public perception but I really really was surprised because you know how sometimes people talk a good talk right and you're like mm-hmm. okay we're gonna do this and then it gets really heated and then they're like just kidding <laughs> yes. um, yeah so that happened so I would say that's the one thing that I underestimated and didn't didn't see coming.
0: That's a really great point. Uh, No one on the show has talked about that. We've asked this question multiple times, and I I think that that's a powerful point. And I've seen this multiple times too. And it it makes me admire people like you even more. People who are upfront, and you know what you see is what you get. You're transparent about who you are and what your values are, and your voting record follows that.
1: Yeah, and I had one vote that I didn't vote my my gut. I always say I vote my gut or vote my conscience. And I did get caught. I was in my head and I voted one, one time and regretted it. And I don't regret a lot of things. And I really Mm -hmm. felt horrible about it because I knew it wasn't the, what I wanted to do, but I, I got caught up in all that. And I'm like, why? I thought, oh, if I do this, they're going to say this about me on social media. And I I just can't take one more thing right now. And I remember thinking, I never do that. I never care. I, I always care about doing what I think is right. And, and it bothered me so much. And I hope I never do that again, but it, it makes a difference. And I think with elected officials, I always say, I'm not a politician because I think there's this derogatory, you know, tone to that title or to that, to that word or that description. But for me, I always say, if I can't be myself and govern how I see fit my values, I don't want to be in office. I don't want to pretend to be somebody I'm not just to make people feel comfortable. I just can't do that. I, I didn't want <laughs> to be that way and it's very unpopular as you've seen (laughs) and I get myself into trouble because I'm too honest Mm -hmm. but I just cannot I cannot go a certain direction if it Mm -hmm. doesn't feel right to me just so people can like me or just so people cannot attack me I and and sometimes I know it's the easier road for people Mm -hmm. but I can't look at myself in the mirror at night if Mm -hmm. I do those things and and so I tell everybody who gives me money, who supports me. If you think that I owe you something or you think I'm a vote or certain way, please don't give me money because I'm going to disappoint you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You you can call me or I'll call you if you have questions, we're going to have a conversation. But if I disagree with you and I vote my conscience and you get upset, then I'm telling you right now, don't support me. Don't give me money because I will probably disappoint you. I follow my instincts and my gut and I try to do what's right. And it's not always what you think is right. You know, and I think, you
0: know, this, right. You get pulled every which way. I know this, absolutely. And I would say hearing you say that is so refreshing because I think historically and even currently, so much of politics has not been that. It's been mm-hmm. so much about who your donors are, right? Yeah. What yeah. what types of people and influences are out there pushing you in a certain direction. So it's it's amazing to hear you say that. And that's certainly one of the things that I already knew about you and, and appreciate about you and how you show up as an elected official. Um, I have an
1: anecdote about that. Yeah? Yes one person he this one time um, not too long ago actually I got in I I thought he's a constituent you know I thought we were friends you know you know acquaintances and so we have a conversation and because I had found out that he had been involved in the recall and so but to my face was like no I would never and Uh then I find out and I and I confront him because I feel like I have to get it off my chest.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so then he talks about this project that he had, and that you know I voted no on his project, and I was like, "Are unbelievable!" I said, "I told you to your face that I wasn't going to support your project. What more did you want? Did you want me to lie to your face and then go up there and then vote how I was going to vote? Mm-hmm. You should at least be thankful that I heard you out, that I was honest with you, and you knew where I stood on the issue. At least." I- I don't flip flop or pretend to go along with you just to make you like me or comfortable or whatever, and then vote a different way and then have to deal with that and pretend like, oh, I changed my mind last minute. Why? Why do we have to play those games? Mm -hmm. Why can't I just be honest with people? And so I thought, yeah, because people still have that mentality of, well, I gave you money and I voted for you. And thank you. I thanked you. What more do you want? And I (laughs) answer your calls and I talk to you and I listen. Listen to you, but I'm going to vote how I see fit mm-hmm. and tell everybody. And so, you know, if that's what you do to justify why you are supporting the recall, okay, well, and where did that get you? Because you guys lost.
0: Exactly. And that's actually, this is a good segue into my next question for you is I'm curious to know what is something that people often get wrong about you?
1: that what I just said that I'm not approachable that because I come off so aggressive or so open and honest about my values that they can't approach me and I have another example of that too where they're my name kept coming up about this housing committee with this with this group a stakeholder we'll call them and I said so again I reach out to this person because I find out that they're kind of involved with the recall so I was like hey What, you know, I hear this, is it true? And they're like, no, you know, they do the whole, no, not at all. And, but then they start telling me, well, you know, there was some um, task force, some housing task force and, you know, your name came up. I said, I'm not even on the housing task force. How did my name come up? And then they brought up two of my colleagues' names and this and that. I said, okay, so I'm being blamed for something that my colleagues did. I said, why wouldn't you call me? Why couldn't you call me and just ask me where I stood on that? issue. Instead Mm -hmm. of letting these people talk about me when I wasn't even a part of those decisions. And if you haven't realized we have a ton of committees and a ton of task force and I can't know everything. And so he was like, you're right. I should have called you. And that's, you know, it's this, this perception that because I'm so honest, they can't call me. So they just make all these assumptions about me Mm -hmm. and I will listen to anybody. Even if we disagree, we can agree to disagree. But the problem is, that in Riverside and in politics, people would rather have those fake surface conversations Mm -hmm. than to have an honest conversation about this is my perspective. This is my view. And we're not going to agree, but I still respect you. I still heard you out. And so I wish people wouldn't judge me based on that. I wish that they would still call me and say, Hey, Gabby, I don't like that you voted this way. Or what are your thoughts on this? They just base things on how they see me from the outside Mm -hmm. and don't make the effort to give me a call and really hear what I have to say about it. So that's Mm -hmm. what I think people, they, they I think there's just that misperception and it's a missed opportunity for them, Mm -hmm. honestly.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is a missed opportunity. And I appreciate everything that you just said, because I think you're right. People make a lot of assumptions about elected officials, but especially women, I think they make a lot of assumptions about us. And also this experience that that you're alluding to, I think is so common, right? If, you know, if people are supporting you 99% of the time, and then you vote a way that they don't appreciate 1% of the time, and then all of a sudden there's this shift, right? It's changed their whole perception of you. And that to me is always mind blowing. I don't understand how people can, you know, switch that quickly. And so thank you thank for speaking to that, because I think that's a really, you know, powerful phenomenon that happens. And it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough, you know, elected officials to not let these things get to us. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'll say one of the things that I love most about you is that we bump into each other at events and immediately start talking about the depth of this work, uh, the challenges that we endure, and the, and frankly, the resilience that it takes to overcome these challenges, How do you balance the highs and lows of this work and the multiple opinions people can have about you that shift from moment to moment?
1: Well, I think what helps is what you just said, right? When we run into each other, you know, the text or the social media post, "Hey, are you okay?" or "Hang in there." You know, having that network of women that are in the same spaces, that know what we're dealing with, that you know, we can call and you know, get advice or just complain. Um, who really know what you're going through? I mean, that is invaluable. I I mm-hmm. couldn't survive, and I'm sure you feel the same way. We could not survive if we. didn't have people like us to talk to each other and say, Hey, I saw this, or how are you doing? It makes such a difference. And I think the more, the more that we can bring others with us, the more that we can have other women like us in these spaces, it's like we're our own little therapy. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like we're, we're our, you know, support system. And that's huge for women because we deal with different things. You know, the things that I'm sure when you campaign now governing, I was at CV and I have so many little tidbits. I was at CBU a while back and, and somebody who works was like, oh, you know, how's it going? I'm like, great. And, and the, and he was like, um, yeah, I was so worried about, you know, how are you gonna, you know, be a, you know, a councilwoman and work and have a young daughter and this and that. And I said, it's amazing when you can walk and chew gum, right? Like, it's not that hard, honestly, you know, you honestly, and that's what you do. You pick mm-hmm. what your priorities are, what you want to accomplish. And the, that's where you spend the majority of your time. And so, so the networking is huge, you know, running into you and and having that. And I thought about that today, as we were going to do this interview, I thought there, we need to do like a, like a, you know, lunch or something just for all of us to kind of catch up and support one another. So I think when we're on the campaign mode, we're there, we show up and those kinds of things, but I'm like, maybe we can start this like collaborative or something where we can really support one another and be more intentional about it because I think we learn from each other what we're all doing in the region. You're, you know, Karthik presented to us yesterday and he talked about some great things that are happening in Redlands. Mm-hmm. I met with my city manager early, right before meeting with you and he talked about your city manager and some conversations they had and thought, how can we support one another, you know, a little bit more intentional than just the occasional running into each other, right? I thought about, you know, um, having breakfast with you. We talked about McDuff's, is it? Yeah, McDuff's. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, just doing those kinds of things I think help keep me sane. I mentioned I run. My mother-in-law always asks me, like, oh, you look like you're losing weight. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm running more so I don't choke people out, man. How do you think I survive?
0: <laughs> you can edit that. No, that's actually that's great honest advice in terms of how we cope, right? Because this yeah. is a highly stressful environment, especially because as you know, these spaces weren't built for us, right? They weren't. And, and they're still frankly a lot of people who don't want us in these spaces and they
1: do a lot to try to make sure they you know don't have us there it's true <laughs> yeah and I'm sure you ask yourself I asked myself like I know when I was dealing with the recall initially I told my daughter you know I told my daughter about it and everything I was like what should I do should I fight it you know should it mommy just give up and just you know because I have a good life you know my husband's good we like to travel you know and I just thought like do I need this in my life is it worth it right but then I look at my daughter and I thought there's no way there's no way that I'm going to let her grow up in a city that still has some old school thinking Mm -hmm. policies where she doesn't feel like you know she belongs here no I cannot do that and obviously she wanted me to keep you know fighting so I was like okay but that's what keeps me going because I'm sure you ask yourself all the time like it's a thankless job why am I doing this
0: Absolutely. And I love that you shared about your daughter and her being your motivation. That's hugely important. And you're right. You know, the chance that we have now to make an impact is not just for us and the people who are in you know our cities right now, but it's, it's for the next generation. And I can only imagine what it's going to be like someday when your daughter comes of age to run for office and how things right. have changed in the, in the yeah. next few decades
1: well and just the things that she experiences right the the conversations the meetings she's been to just the it's so different I mean I didn't grow up that way I mean I kind of got involved in high school but my mother wasn't you know involved politically and so definitely that's what keeps me motivated but at the same time you think about safety and I know that you think about that too and which is mm-hmm. sad because I know men don't think about that they don't think about getting hurt because they're doing something they love and they're trying to give back to their community but I had the police had to patrol my house for several weeks because they doxed me and I remember my mom was like I don't know if you should do this maybe you need to just not do it anymore it's not worth you guys getting hurt or maybe you should stay at our house for a little bit till things cool down and I thought you know what no like I am not gonna let them scare me out of my house this is you know one of their tricks I said no and I thought you know maybe if I was in Mexico I wouldn't run or you know it's different there I said but this isn't Mexico, you know, we'll be fine. But I had a moment where I thought, you know, could I live with that guilt if something did happen to me or my daughter, you know, is it worth it? Right. But then you look at the big picture and you think, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. And I'm not going to be bullied. I'm not. And you take the risk, which is a huge risk. And so, but if it's not you, if it's not me, then who would do it? Right.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I've been reading a lot lately about the disproportionate amount of women, you know, who get targeted and harassed in the political arena, right? Women are are targeted so much more than men. And something you said was really powerful in that you said men don't have to think about this. You're absolutely right. And it's, it's another injustice and it's another unfairness, but it's something for people to think about. And it's precisely why we need more women in politics and we need more people demanding that we take politics to what it's supposed to be, as you talked about before, you know, serving people, fixing potholes, getting people the the grocery card resources that they need, right? Like all of mm-hmm. this other drama is not just a toxic distraction, but it could actually be very dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a worrying piece of this moment we find ourselves in.
1: Yeah. And we're not alone. Right. It happens to so many of us, which is sad that it's so normalized. Right. Where's the outrage? Where's the outrage that we have to deal with that? No, there's no outrage. It's like, oh, she'll get over it. Oh, she's tough. You know, Mm -hmm. she's dealt with the law. She'll be fine. And it's, it's sad that we just are so dismissive and desensitized by it all.
0: It is. It absolutely is. But shifting gears a bit, something more positive. I'm curious to know, do you have any mentors or people you look to for inspiration?
1: I have, I would say, yeah, I think throughout, you know, my life, there's always been someone right, depending on what stage you are in your life. I think mentoring is huge, Uh, being a mentor and also, you know, having a mentor. And so it just changes, right? Depending on where I'm at in my life. I think a lot of where I'm at now is really leaning on my network of friends that are in these spaces. Mm -hmm. And that's been getting me through and then really focused on being a mentor to others and pulling them up because it means nothing that I was elected in 2019 if it's going to be another 20 40 50 Mm -hmm. years to have another Latina you know get elected and so for me I focus a lot of my time on who can I help and you and I have been you know in other cities helping candidates helping women so a lot of our time is spent on that is is not it's not being selfish and so Mm -hmm. sometimes I get frustrated that more of us aren't doing that we have an opportunity to bring others with us. And so that's a big focus of mine too, is trying to be a mentor and show support. And I don't know everything, but whatever I do know, I'm willing to help. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's really something that we all need to be doing and to ensure that we have, and we normalize, that it's not like, oh, great, there's two of them up there. You know, it's so sad when they can pick us out, right? It's like, and, and if we had an all-female council, it would be like, oh my gosh, the end of the world, right? <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, or you can have, we had an all-male council and it was perfectly fine for everybody. People seem to get so offended by that. I remember that's been a criticism of me. Someone someone started a rumor that I wanted an all female counsel, which I had never said, but I very well could have said that, right? And it's yeah. why is that and so what's wrong with people? that? Right. Yeah. It's I mean,
1: it's This, like, we just get into this mentality of, you know, us versus them. And it's not about that. And that's the thing. We're not taking away from you or your values because we're talking about ours. Mm -hmm. And it's been, it's exhausting, as you know,
0: dealing Mm -hmm. with that mentality. It is. But I I think you would probably agree. At the end of the day, it's worth it because we know that we're at the table. We're making change happen in a way that frankly hasn't happened prior to us being at the table. And, you know, with that, I'm curious to know if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners, especially college students thinking about running for office or getting involved in the political arena, what would that be?
1: I would say, and this is what I tell students all the time because a lot of students reach out to me from UCR and CBU and I'm very committed to our students so much so that I'll be um, having office hours just for students once a month at Mm -hmm. our Youth Innovation Center. And it can be from elementary all the way to college because a lot of students always want to interview me for school and things Mm -hmm. like that. Or they're just curious as to how they get involved with politics. So what I always tell the students is to get involved on a campaign, you know, to start doing research on people. So I first always direct them to the registrar voters office and have them type in their address to see who their elected officials are. Mm -hmm. And then I have them pick one and they need to call them and set up a meeting with them and just kind of ask them questions, you know, how they got there and that kind of thing. And then I invite them. I just started, um, Araceli and I started an internship program at the city. And so we have two interns. Now, one of the interns actually was, she's from UCR. I tasked her with creating the whole program for all interns because we didn't really have anything established. But so I utilize interns I really want because I, I believe in, get, you know, representation matters. And so to have women who look like them, who come from the same background, there's just a different level of engagement. And so I point them in the right direction. If they live in a certain area where there's an election, I tell them that they need to look up the candidate and volunteer so that they can really see what it's like to run a campaign. So I would say, I know you asked for one thing, but I would say it's those things. Find out who your representatives are, reach out to them, and get involved with the campaign. And I'm always available to meet with students. They're always a priority.
0: Wonderful, wonderful advice. And thank you for being available to students. And thank you for all that you do. And thanks for this fantastic uh, time together today. Councilwoman Gabby Placencia. thanks for joining us. Thank you
1: for inviting me. I had so much fun.
0: Fantastic. Take care.
1: All right, you too. Have a good
0: evening. The Persist Podcast is hosted by me, Denise Davis, Director of the UCR Women's Resource Center, and is produced by Rosa Tejeda and the staff in the UCR Women's Resource Center. Check out our Instagram pages for links to more episodes at UCRWRC and at UCRPersist. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, please email us at wrc We hope that this podcast inspires you and those around you to get involved in the political arena because we know that who is at the table absolutely matters. Finally, if you have any ideas for who a future guest should be on the podcast, feel free to reach out and let us know.